Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. Before we get into the show, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, FTX US. FTX US, one of the largest crypto companies in the United States, is the safest, most regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other digital assets. You might have heard of FTX from their partnerships with Tom Brady, Steph Curry, or the recent Super Bowl commercial with Larry David. With FTX, you can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. You can also use the FTX app to buy your favorite NFTs with no gas fees, supporting both Ethereum and Solana blockchains. Download the FTX app today in minutes by going to ftx.blockwareintelligence.com to earn free crypto on every trade over $10. Again, that's ftx.blockwareintelligence.com to get started today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. Today, we have two returning guests by special uh, kind of request from, from all listeners, uh, Plan B and Willie Wu. Uh, last time we recorded, it, got, it must have been three or four months ago now. Um, episode did really well. Got a lot of positive response from the community. So um, happy to have you guys back on. Willie's got some wine. I've got some coffee. Plan B, I don't know if you've got any beverages going on your way, but we're ready to, to rock and roll. How are you guys doing? Yes, Superman, and thanks for arranging it again. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you. Uh, much has happened since. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I'm kind of bummed that I didn't meet you and the rest in um, the Miami conference. Still stuck in Hong Kong, but about to change soon and hoping to, you know, get back on the on the road in the scene and, and to feel the atmosphere again within the industry. Uh, so, yeah, um, and this is actually... My uh, first podcast in, I don't know, two months, I've taken a big hiatus um, from all this sort of public stuff, but um, yeah, back onto it. For sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to maybe seeing you guys next year. We'll see. I think uh, you'll both enjoy Miami a lot, especially given some of the COVID restrictions and stuff where you guys are. So looking forward to maybe seeing you next year. Um, I guess like to start, like, has anything changed since kind of last time we talked? Willie, I guess, you know, how's the baby and um, plan B on your end? I know, you, you know, you launched the fund recently. How's that going? Just kind of get get us up to speed on, you know, what's going on with you guys. Uh, yeah, baby's super cute. Uh, she's 10 months old now. Um, oh, my gosh. The, the baby's are the funnest thing ever. So, um, but they're all blockers, you know. <laughs> As any dad will know, they're super blockers on the time. I have a home office here, so... <laughs> It's funny, you know, like little knock on the door. She want daddy, uh -huh. <laughs> and it's irresistible. Um, they're super cute. Um, but anyway, that's yeah, lots changed. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know where to start. Yeah, everything's changed. Um, <laughs> so okay, let me ask you this before we, before uh, I, I ask Plan B. So you know, recently you had posted this thing on Twitter that you were going to kind of cease writing the newsletter. Would did the baby play a part in that? I mean, what what were some of the kind of reasons behind that? that decision i think you know that was one of the one of the most you know popular newsletters in the community so uh personally i was uh, a little surprised to to see you had decided to kind of cease that um i don't know just kind of walk us through like what was kind of the decision making behind that choice uh i i think like the for like i see it a number of things um like a number of things it was one was that the on-chain analysis is less um predictive than it used to be and i think that's 
that's true in that like when the newsletter started it was in a very high um spot dominance um zone um as all most bull markets are like spot buying through the hill and then now we're in this zone that it's um you know institutions here the ecosystem is much more complex derivatives pay much more of a part in it um it goes from one swing to the other spot dominance the derivatives and but now it's much more complex and so the accuracy of the letter was dropping um and there was a number of things regarding that um bandwidth was one with the baby um but the for the most part um it was always uh in my mind um an experiment of one year you know it ran on longer because people wanted it and all this i could see that but the reality was i was not enjoying writing it anymore um like it became like a, a homework assignment assignment and i think thinking through it um, it's always been for retail and retail focused, um, yet um, I thought it was rocking a hard place because you're doing, it's relatively, I mean, I simplify it down as much as possible to make it easy to understand. And it's great if you're learning about on-chain analysis, but for retail, I think a lot of people were not so much wanting to know the deep analysis, but to um, go, is it going up or down? And they were trading on it. Um, without really understanding the depth of um, you know what the market structure is talking about and understanding risks involved and so um, I thought it you know it kind of sets sets you up for this point and oh, I mean particularly the first I think the five months like five months I think there were two letters that were wrong and every other letter was correct and so people were starting to just um, trade on it um, and um, I knew that that was getting dangerous. So, you know, and then like, as the market structure changed and like it became harder to predict, um, there was a lot of backlash. And I thought like, I'm probably not serving retail as I thought I was um, because like you kind of set them up, they, you set them up and then if they're not, um, you know, like if they're not taking a longer term approach or if they're a trader with um, risk management, um, you know, some people would be relatively new and thinking they could trade this and they got they got stung you know particularly in the may crash um and like people lost money because they were over leveraged um and um i got a lot of heat for that you know um and i i still think to that to this day it's like yeah like that was a combination of things and um one thing was that like that thing i did issue letter and it was it said we were down for months of bearishness and um and that did eventuate but um people just go i lost money and i was a subscriber and i'm like in the end i was like i'm, well, I'm not going to set myself up here doing this letter um which ends up being like this vehicle where people get hurt and then there's all this toxicity back um so um Overall, it became very unsatisfying to do. And um, beyond that, I think, um, you know, like the reason why I got into the space and um, on-chain became my thing was because it's all new, right? And I like discovering new things. And, um, and I think I knew that from the beginning, which was a one-year letter. And, um, you know, now it's time to end it to try new things. Um, so 
you know, just a whole number of things coming together and it just didn't make sense anymore outside of the money right it's, it was a very nice um you know subscriber base it was probably the most popular i know we're probably in the top five or even top three highest revenue earners on substack at its height um and even now it's it's still a, you know a ridiculous amount of money to to kind of end but um i think it's just in terms of opportunity cost i think i'd like to you know do new things <laughs> yeah no that, that makes a lot of sense uh yeah. plan b anything new with you in terms of just you know in the bitcoin world for you or, or the fund as well yeah well i guess i had a similar right as uh willie that uh well the whole market of course um went down we didn't reach the 100k targets that uh, i was uh, uh, talking about on twitter and uh, the stock to flow model of course uh, predicts so um so and, and i i um have experienced that a couple of times now it's the third time actually because uh, it always goes in waves and when when the price is high then then you're hot and you're the man the myth the legend and when the price is low then you're the plan bullshit, the scammer, and what have you. So <laughs> kind of get, get used to it. But like like most Bitcoiners, in, in, if the price is not, not very exciting, they go um, do other stuff. Uh, it, it, those are actually the most productive periods. So for me, I traveled a lot, actually, uh, to other countries that, would, uh, that I could go to. As an unvaccinated person, I cannot go to the US or Canada, for example. So no Miami for me. Um, but, uh, well, other countries, um, I, I won't say which ones, of course, but, uh, uh, yeah. So I talked to a lot of people. I took some, uh, some time off Twitter. You might have noticed that, the, in those periods, the tweets are kind of general and not very specific and, and based on, on uh, real-time analysis, but it was, yeah, it was kind of a, kind of a holiday kind of meeting people face-to-face -face that I, uh, have met a lot uh, through Zoom and uh, and uh, yeah, a lot of business opportunities. So you, you guys must have had the same. Every conversation you have, you have ideas, you have opportunities and you want to, you, you can almost start a business every day. <laughs> so yeah, you have to search that out. And and, uh, and there was of course time for, um, for some analysis and some um, thinking, uh, which is also very good to do from time to time in all the, so when prices uh, go sky high, you you you're on podcasts every day if you if you don't uh, watch your agenda and uh, and and right now it's it's uh, it's a great time to to do analysis to think things over and yeah also business wise so uh, yeah very very exciting uh, although I'm I'm right now I'm kind of ready for the next uh, move up personally. It's it's been nice to it's been nice to kind of finally get a breather and and recoup a little bit. Finally, get some some full nights of sleep and all all that good stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do want to get into the to stock to flow model, but we'll we'll hold that off for a moment because I, I kind of want to dive into this news today about Elon, just because it's current event, it's it's relevant, and kind of tie that into this like, general push to decentralization, almost like free marketing we've seen for Bitcoin over the last like six to twelve months. So. We've got this news about Elon today um, offering to buy Twitter. A lot of that seems to be driven by his belief that Twitter isn't fully advocating for free speech. They're censoring people, all that kind of thing. Um, you know, in addition to this, we've seen, you know, the whole Canada trucker situation and whether you agree with that or not. And, you know, 
kind of putting the politics aside, the fact of the matter is, you know, you had people within the country that got their, you know, essentially just savings accounts and bank accounts frozen uh, without any kind of due process. And we've also got recently kind of the most, you know, relevant of, of all these, in, in my opinion, has been the freezing essentially of, of Russia's reserves and essentially, you know, cutting out of, of Russia from the from the financial system. So, um, you know, either you guys, I mean, we could just riff on this, I feel like for a long time, but, you know, I, I think generally you've, you've just seen this huge push in, um basically, you know, free marketing on a global stage for why decentralization is so important and basically really highlighting kind of the value proposition of Bitcoin as a store value. It's interesting. I haven't been on Twitter much um, lately the last few months, so I just had to look it up and was like, okay, so he's offering to buy it at $54 per share. Um, I noticed he turned down his board um, appointment, um, which would have restricted him to a cap in Twitter stock, was it 14% or something, I forget. Um, and um, he rejected that. So he's, it looks like he's wanting to require it um, fully, well, obviously, but um, it's interesting because it's, uh, it's a very centralized approach. Um, and um, it's, I, I just find it interesting because um, this is kind of like a benevolent dictator model, which kind of works really well for a time until um, that person passes or they turn evil. Um, so, but yeah, I think like it's a smart move because that's where the um, user base is and that's what, you know, we can talk about that, right? It's like you could build any number of decentralized Twitter and you won't get anywhere because you can't break the network effect that Twitter already has. Like anyone can build Facebook in terms of a product. Whether or not you can move that, like, that social network effect across into another thing, it's unbreakable. So um, it makes a lot of sense that we would buy out the existing and from there um if you want to make it more protocol based like um i think some of the promise twitter had in the early days was really much it could have been a protocol of the internet another layer of the internet because apps were using it to message each other and it was quite interesting until it got um you know the 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 board level exec decisions were oh no, we will turn this into media and we will do advertising model. And it really shut down the full potentiality of what Twitter could have been. Like a whole apps ecosystem was connecting into it and that got all shut down. And in a way it went against what the internet was about. And so I'd be interested to see what um, Musk does with it if he acquires it, whether or not it becomes much more back to its roots of really pure engineering grassroots engineering um, and kind of, you know, like you let it go. Like it's like letting Bitcoin go to the masses um, and letting it be free and let, let the, um, the ecosystem decide um, compared to like a very centralized, you know, you know, altcoin project, which you see plenty of um, where, you know, the founding team continue to, like a lot of DeFi is really, it's just centralized <laughs> finance with um, a blockchain layer, you know, on it. Um, so it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. And, and but yeah, I, I, I like, I like that, um, you know, I, I feel like I, I trust um, the character of Elon Musk more than I trust the um, ownership of Twitter. If you look at it, it's Elon Musk, 
Um, and then like BlackRock, do you guys know Fidelity? There's a whole bunch of um, big money people, you know, um, big money banking circles. And I feel like the world we live in is very much controlled by that kind of money, um, which have a you know a very particular agenda that's being pushed. Um, these are the same people that push the ESG agenda. Um, that's a back against Bitcoin. So I think there's a lot of hidden agendas that are um, that push through from the ownership of media companies. And so I feel like this is like nice. You know, it's it's like something from outside of that fraternity um, taking over something that's relatively important. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and these are very very interesting times. And uh, in my latest article, it's it's already one or two years old again, but but I talk about these phases, right? Phase um, five is actually the phase we're, we're in right now. And we didn't know at the time what yeah, what the new phase would look like uh, and that it could be ugly. Uh, that, that was a chance, of course, but what we're seeing around us with uh, war now in, uh, in, in the Ukraine, uh, with, with, with Russia, with what we have had with COVID, with uh, um, all the decentralization, uh, things happening in China right now. It's, uh, I mean, we see it in, in, in Shanghai, uh, Australia. It, it, there seems to be no country uh, where things are, are normal. Uh, or like two or three years ago, all everything is changing. And whether you look from a geopolitical or financial investor point of view, it doesn't matter. Everything changes. And um, so I, I think we're kind of get a, a, a big, a, well, um, a picture of what this quote unquote phase five is going to look like, but it will be, the, yeah, the battle between um, central um, uh, centrally run companies and countries and, and the peer-to-peer -peer <laughs> or decentralized uh, organized uh, products and, and companies and, and maybe countries because that's that's a, a trend that's very interesting and especially if you travel you see that a lot people that are off the grid that don't have bank accounts um, that that live from their bitcoins and that, that send bitcoins to their family and we have a I don't know if you know him. Um, it's a very famous Dutch family. It's the, the Bitcoin family. They they sold their house in 2017 and they're living on Bitcoin ever since. It's Didi uh, Taihutu. Yeah. If, if you don't know him, look him up. He he has yeah, been yeah. living on, on Bitcoin for five years. And he has the most amazing stories about about also products and 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 companies that that make you spend make you be able to spend bitcoins on travel, on cars, on well, all those stuff is out there. I don't even know one percent of it. So it's a whole uh, communities are are discovering what, what's possible, and 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 countries as well. Uh, you know the El Salvador thing, and and the announcements that that uh, Samson Mo did, and all the countries that will follow. It's such an interesting time to be alive, and to be in Bitcoin, and to be at the forefront. So yeah, Super. and to that. Point. If anyone who's met Dede, you'll notice there's a glint in his eyes and a huge smile, right? Um, and you know this guy is living a life. He's actually really alive. <laughs> and um, and there's, there's immense joy in his freedom there. Um, and so He's a hero. It's, it's quite inspiring if you meet him, you know? Yes. And, and it's, um, I don't know, it's like, I, I meet a lot of people on my travels also and, and they're doing like, they're living like this and, 
there's a lot of energy involved because it's very free. Um, it's very free in liberating. Yeah, and, and a very they're starting schools everywhere they, they live. They're starting, uh, well, for the community, stuff for the community, a bit like uh, yeah, hotels, Bitcoin resorts. Uh, but yeah, so they give a lot to the community as well. It's, it's not only a nomad that's rich and, 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 and goes from, from tax haven to tax haven. It's really, there's people, Didi not alone. There's a lot of people like him changing the world from, um, from, from uh, yeah, this in a, in a decentralized way. Yeah, and, and I remember he gave away a lot of his wealth as well. That was the thing. Yeah. And he donates consistently for donates to charities through Bitcoin. Um, so it's very inspiring way of living. That's awesome, and I'm I'm sure we'll we'll see more of these people as that whole kind of like sovereign individual thesis kind of plays out, where people really aren't tied to any nation, and they're just kind of you know borderless nomads if you will and you know they're not really tied to any central authority and all that kind of thing so now that, that's really cool i think this is the guy with dreads right yeah. I, yeah okay okay i know who you're talking about then very cool um so we talked a little bit about macro just like slightly i, I do want to dive into that more in depth uh but before we move on i, I want to discuss narratives so you know everything that we just kind of talked about is is about this kind of whole uh, push to decentralization. Um, you know, over the last, call it two years, the kind of main narrative that drove Bitcoin up at the end of 2020 was the inflation hedge narrative. Uh, I think one of the most like powerful things about Bitcoin is this like term I've, I've dubbed like ideological malleability for Bitcoin. It's, it's just like a cool term I made up to say like Bitcoin is very, it, it can be many things and it's different things to many different people. Um, you know, in an inflationary environment, obviously it's an inflation hedge. Uh, we'll talk in a, in a bit why maybe Bitcoin hasn't been performing well over the last uh, few months, ironically, because of inflation, you know, driving up yields, which has caused tech to go down, which is correlated to Bitcoin. We'll get all into all that. Um, I think the, the other thing that kind of drove Bitcoin off the lows, in addition to just like, you know, tech correlation uh, after January was just this narrative of Bitcoin being like a decentralized bear asset, right? You saw both Ukraine and Russia, uh, you know, utilizing Bitcoin. And that really goes to show that it is apolitical. It's just money, right? It's just decentralized money. Um, how do you think through in general, though, about narratives with Bitcoin? You know, it can also just be a growing payments network as you will. You've got your pinned tweet comparing Bitcoin's network growth to uh, the likes of the Internet and telephone, et cetera. Um, how do you think through, do you think price is just narrative and, and narrative will just attach to whatever price action is telling you kind of, how do you guys think through just the, the idea of, of narratives for BTC? I think we, uh, when I think of narratives, actually, I think um, of like the, 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 the newspaper or any, like almost the Bloomberg report, stocks fell today because so-and-so um, did this or the market felt fear because of that and it's absolutely bullshit right like if you're in the market you go no actually it hit the technical resistance and there was a bearish divergence and we rejected off that because all traders will have to sell because of that signal um, that's why it rejected and then someone found a narrative that that also coincided to this day and so um, when I look at the the bitcoin price I'm like looking at fundamentally who's buying who's selling and um, then you can attach like, ah, oh, right. So like recently, uh, the prices sold down very, very quickly off a week ago. 
And the narrative that's been attached to it has been, oh, it's tax season sell-off. And wow, they left it last minute because the 18th of April is the deadline for many Americans. And there's assumed that that's tax sell-off. And when you look on at the data and it's like, well, under overall, there was very mild um, selling from hodlers. Um, overall, spot was buying, mass amount of coins moving off chain, on chain, off the exchanges. They actually, spot was buying. Who was selling? Oh, that was um, the futures markets, particularly the calendars market, which is linked to um, the CME and the sophisticated institutions who are trading the correlation to tech stocks. And, and the S&P. Um, so you got this narrative that it was a tax sell down, but actually it wasn't. It was traders trading this correlation. Um, so that, that's what I think about narratives in terms of price action. Um, like I think they're too coincidental to, um, you know, some sort of reasoning, but not backed by any kind of the fundamental data you look at if you're looking at the markets properly. Um, so yeah um do you think like, narrative in terms do, of what yeah oh sorry go ahead finish your thought well I'm in terms of what you just outlined yeah like um yields increasing tech stocks get pressure then yeah that that i that is right you know it's those guys that are selling down bitcoin but you can see that in the data um and i think that's you know but like um i think it's very really hard to attach narrative to without evidence um you know, just thinking, um, you know, it's correlation is not causation. Um, Do you think there's case. a reflexive aspect to narratives, though? And plan B, I, I know you want to answer. So sorry for hopping in before you before you spoke. But no do worries. You, do you guys do you guys think there's like a reflexivity to narratives as price drives up? Right. The whole kind of George. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, the whole, you know, Soros theories of theory, excuse me, of, you know, price drives up. The narrative follows that drives price up further, which pushes the narrative even far, further and kind of has this like, you know, positive feedback loop. Do you think we get that in Bitcoin, for example, like with the inflation hedge narrative at the end of 2020, or do you think it's just uh, irrelevant? I think um, Plan B has taught me, <laughs> actually, a lot of people have taught me who have come from mainstream finance world. Um, that might have been true in 2017, but um, man, there's the beautiful carry trade to take the other side and yield, um, what is it like? I think it was up to 60% annualized, taking the other side and taking the heat out of the market. Um, so I don't think it's so reflexive now. And you see that with a, a blunt top and a rollover. And not, none of the exponential spikes you'll see um, where people can't take the other side. Um, so I, I, not so much now, not for no. Bitcoin. <laughs> No, I, I was about to say the exact same thing. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, narratives is nice, but it's, it's for newspapers, for marketing stuff, and um, there are some deeper trends, some deeper things going on here. And and it's uh, well, like Willie said, is of course technological. It is the better money. So, uh, like the internet, if 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 you want it or not, <laughs> it will it will be the less the the, the thermodynamically. Um, better thing and it, it it will win in the end um the earth is round not flat and and whether you spin a narrative around it that it's flat it doesn't matter maybe uh it it, it delays it a couple of years but uh, it will win so and also financially it's it is an asset it is a, a 
an accepted asset um, more so than a couple of years ago and markets are maturing and the yeah cash and carry trade that we that we talked about a lot last year almost completely disappeared which is normal which is a sign of maturing markets because um a, a contango premium of, of 40 50 even 60 percent is is can't go forever people so in my worldview as an investor as an ex-institutional investor is it's all about arbitrage and in the beginning of course there was arbitrage in bitcoin only with with exchanges in the korea and exchanges in the europe and, and the us and then making uh, uh, catching the differences which was an easy way to make money and now the future the, the cash and carry trade was was of course a, a very easy way to make money and everybody and his mother is doing it so now that premium has gone down to like five percent or what is it today which is still better than uh europe um your your minus one um, percent on your bank account or something so they're still but but that those parties are now in place they have their funds they're, they're doing this trade and this market is more efficient and bigger and stronger so uh What's left is, for example, the volatility trade. That's that's one of the big things. You know, you can still make twenty five percent a year uh, with uh, cover call writing and capturing the volatility, the, the insane volatilities that have lowered, by the way. But but yeah, it's 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 obvious for Bitcoiners that the trend in the price, the 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 fact that it's better technology and it will win and it will be adopted over time, is larger than the volatility that's caused by narrative x y z but um yeah so that that's that's one of the other things and and of course the big play we're seeing right now and it's very interesting is the arbitrage with the fiat world because bitcoin can be seen as a foreign exchange thing so not not even a tech stock or a commodity but a foreign ex- like a currency it has a interest rate um and and you can exchange it with other currencies. So you, you can make very hard arbitrages there with enormous sums of money. And it wouldn't surprise me. Actually, I know that, that some some uh, traditional parties are are, are doing that. And, and, and yeah, so so I, I guess with, with all the central bank, as long as the central banks do crazy stuff, which they, in my view, have to do because they, they have positioned themselves in a corner where they can't get out. They can't raise the interest rates because they will kill the stock market, bond market, real estate market, everything, the economy. Uh, nobody wants to do that. So they're doing stupid stuff like printing money and more and more while saying they're tapering, which, well, I think is the only thing they can do. But it, that creates opportunities for arbitrage-minded people and just savvy investors. So that, that will be a big drive in the market uh, for years to come, I guess. You've got a, you've got Ken Griffin and Citadel and all these other players coming and salivating at you know some of these ARB opportunities that you've still got. You know maybe we don't have like the two hundred percent cash and carry trade that Arthur Hayes talks about that brought him into the market, or <laughs> you know like the you know massive premium with Japan and the U.S. spot that you know got Sam Bankman Fried involved in the market. But you know we we it's it's still a relatively inefficient market for being around thirteen years. Um, hey, so plan B, you talked briefly about options. When I was in Miami, uh, I went to one of these kind of like panels. It was a market making panel. Um, one of the big firms there that I, that I recognized was QCP. 
Um, you know, I mean, these guys are trading like billions in, in volume a day. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that really caught my eye, or I guess my ear that they, they talked about was um, the, in, in the gold market, the options uh, open interest is eight times the spot market uh, volume. Whereas when you compare that with Bitcoin, it's 2%. So, I mean, if you're talking about that getting to the equivalent, it's going to be, you know, 50 X to 400 X or, you know, whatever, 500 X at least to get even in the ballpark of, of where that is for gold. So um, what do you think about the growth of of the options market in, in, in Bitcoin? And like, how is that going to affect like the market in general? Will that damper the volatility as people are hedging around volatility? Do you think that just, grows as you know more institutional players come in and just like what's your general thoughts on options growth in bitcoin yeah it's, it's the next uh market that will be next derivatives market that after the futures market is it has fully matured uh will be uh explored and 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 grown into a, a full functioning option market and it's not not very mature at the moment so for example if you look at the prices of daily bit it's one of the big it's the biggest uh, option market um, it's it's very obvious that uh, that that the trading of the um, in the money options is not is not not really happening. So it's all uh, out of the money options of of people that think that Bitcoin goes to hundred thousand or two hundred thousand tomorrow, and uh, basically betting. It's like betting. It's it's a form of leverage without the downside, uh, which is the worst way of playing the option market because you you have you don't have to. You you don't do directional bets with options. You do directional bets with futures, and and uh, option markets are for volatility. So you you sell the volatility when it's high, and you buy it when it's low. Um, that that's how you, how you ought to do it. But um, yeah, so so I guess that that will mature, and that will indeed 10 x or, or or even more. Uh, there is of course a big difference with the gold market. And several, several other markets. And that is that the uh, the underlying the the collateral, the, the the Bitcoin in this case, is very easy to transfer and uh, to verify that it's actually there. And and that's not so with gold. So gold is held at the I think it's the London uh, Bullion Bank, and then everybody has to uh, um, well trust that bank that that the gold is really there and and you can ask for physical delivery but when things get rough uh, like right now with all the inflation and the <laughs> then you I, I don't know if you follow the commodity market a little bit but what happened over the last one or two months is is really amazing and it's it's fraud actually on on epic proportions because there were some large investors that that traded with options and futures and lost like billionaire investors, billion dollar positions, they lost, but then the trades were canceled. Yeah, they so just they stopped were, the market, right? They <laughs> was stopped it, it was the market. Nickel, nickel right? trade, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and that's that's not the first time that happens, right? That's that's they, they do it all the time. And that's that's very bad. It reminds that's, me of so, GameStop and Robinhood when they just pause trading on, on GameStop. Was, I mean it's same crazy. Thing. Same thing. Supposedly regulated, right? These are these are regulated, and the crypto exchange is a cowboy. Yeah, quite literally, right? For example, Deribit is is an unbanked exchange, so there are no bank. You you can only deposit Bitcoin. You cannot deposit euros or dollars or whatever. 
So it's 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 very easy for an exchange to hold to actually hold the uh, collateral and for you to check it. And there's a lot of new um, um, trends going on there as well to make that more uh, decentralized. So so I think we're going to so so Bitcoin and and you know to the master. Uh, Raoul Paul, uh, several other uh, traditional finance guys have pointed out that Bitcoin is the pristine collateral, the best collateral there is, even better than real estate because it's portable, of course. And you can, and that will change the, the entire market from from lending to to futures markets and cash and carry trades and option markets. So I guess we get a, yeah, when, when, one once that market uh, matures, and that will take some time. Uh, several years, I guess. Uh, yeah, we're, 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 we'll be at much higher prices, but also at lower volatility. And uh, and then we build on top of that again. So would you say that um, the development of the options market, where it's much better to sell volatility or buy it, um, will have an impact on um, reducing, um, as it develops, it'll reduce, it'd be a forceful reduction of the... Um, of the volatility, just as futures markets are, you know, taking the heat out of these like exponential tops. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because more um, uh, professional par um, uh, parties will enter that are better at, at estimating those risks and training those risks. So right now, it's the basically lottery ticket buyers and some institutional sellers that are uh, laughing at the twenty five percent profit they they make. Um, while um, it would be much more interesting if the option buyers are more in, are more professional and more into well have a have a real use case for buying those options instead of just lottery tickets and yeah. and 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 so there's um, like with the futures markets there is usually a lot of uh, an entire market behind it like the agriculture. Or, or commodities markets that are for, for the building industry. So, so people use those instruments like futures and options to hedge their, their invoices that they know are coming from, from stuff they bought, uh, raw materials and stuff, and from, from the uh, bills they will be sending to, to customers. So they, they hedge their positions. If, if, if they use it professionally, right? They're, they're not gambling on the market. They just know that they can't stand the volatility and they, 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 they're willing to give a little bit of the profit away um, to someone who can hatch or stand that volatility or has a position that offsets that volatility. It's sort, sort of a natural hatch. And uh, so, yes, in the end, I think that will drive volatility down over the next would, year. Would an example of that be like, say, you're using Bitcoin as collateral to fund, you know, get a mortgage, you know, or you're using, posting that to get a fiat loan and that you would um, use it as an insurance policy to avoid liquidation of um, your, yeah. your loan. Yeah. yeah, but right now that's very difficult because of the volatility. Your collateral will be like uh, up to X or down 50% in, in no time. And, and uh, the, the the lenders will uh, will ask for over collateralization and so so that's kind of expensive at the moment but it, yes it will thus make lending uh based on your bitcoin on on, on bitcoin collateral um um much more attractive if the volatility goes down 
Plan B. Sorry to, to put you on the spot here, but I'm just I just want to clarify something in my mind. Um, like when, when we're talking about buying ball, is it a straddle or a strangle that you're buying ball? Um, yeah, if you're buying vol, you buy it low. So when the volatility is low, you can buy a call option and a put option, for example. And then when the volatility goes up, you can sell them again and at a higher price and relatively delta neutral. So you have, so you bought the, or sold could also, right? So you buy the put and the call. Uh, but, but but what's much, much less risky is selling uh, the volatility when it spikes up. So you sell the call and you sell the um, uh, the put, which which is more risky, by the way. But, uh, you know, because you can sell the call with collateral, uh, with Bitcoin as collateral, but there is no hedge for the selling the put. That's unlimited risk if you're wrong. So, but when, when, when there's the volatility pattern can be modeled with gauge models, with, well, all kinds of volatility models. And it's very predictable. So volatility, is it spikes up and then it, it slows down. It, it, it sort of, um, yeah, it, it like, like a fire, it, 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 it goes down and, and, and you can model that. So when it spikes up, you have to sell the volatility and then you buy it back later when, it, when, when you know for sure it goes, the spike will not go, not be there forever. So, do you think yeah. Bitcoin will realize like 60 to 70 vol? I mean, I feel like historically Bitcoin's realized, especially in bull markets, like 70, 80 vol. Do you think, like how far do you think that'll come down over time? Well, I think it's now the one-year options are trading at 60 or 70 implied vol, which is low because they were like 80, 90, and even 100 and over uh, implied volatility. So, but that will go up again. <laughs> no worries. It, it, it will spike to 100 again. And that would be the, the moment to put your cover call uh, in, for example. Gotcha. Appreciate the, uh, the little the little education here. I got a I got a book out called um, Option Beginners uh, Options Tutorial, something like that, like some basic options book. I gotta I gotta dig into it before the options market keeps getting. I, have I keep tip. putting it off. <laughs> I, I have an advice for you, and I, I might I might send you something. Maybe I put uh, it on Twitter as well. It's it's the Black and Scholes model. It's an option pricing model. I know there's a lot of critique and there's a lot of discussion about normal normality in the market, et cetera, et cetera. But it's it's an option model. It well, it won the Nobel Prize, um, and and it it has five inputs. Make that model in Excel and start uh, playing around with it. And I can I can send you one. It's it's quite a big form, formula, but it's a very intuitive model, and um, but it's best learned by playing with it. And, and, and understanding the five parameters and the, the complex interplay between the input parameters in that formula. And it's, it's, it's really nice to understand it because it's options are everywhere in life, not only in financial markets. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I definitely like that. I'll, I'll take you up on that. <laughs> um, I want to pivot to macro. So uh, we've got a lot going on in macro over the last three months. Uh, honestly, I don't even know where to start. I guess we can start with, um, you know, inflation, eight and a half percent. You know, the government's saying it's the Putin price hike, even though we've seen increasing inflation uh, for the last year. Uh, obviously, you know, that's triggered this massive sell off in the fixed income market. Um, and because, you know, obviously stocks are correlated to uh, discount cash flow models, um, you know, that's that's 
drawn down, especially, you know, tech stocks drawn down equities. Uh, and Bitcoin has seen this correlation to equity. So um, kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on overall macro. Um, and then also, like, what do you think about this correlation of Bitcoin to tech stocks? Like, what's going to, what, what is it going to take for that correlation to break? Um, you know, I feel like for a while, people had been kind of viewing Bitcoin as a commodity. As of lately, it seems like, especially when looking at something like a correlation coefficient, it seems like the market's been viewing uh, Bitcoin as kind of basketing it in with, with tech stocks. So what do you think about macro? Uh, and then what do you think is, is, is it going to take to kind of break that correlation for, with Bitcoin and, and tech stocks? I think I'll let Plan B talk about the macro because I'm no expert on, on that. Um, on the second one, to break the correlation, I mean, I saw this um, in late 2020, and I even wrote um, a letter on it that we would break it. And um, that's because Bitcoin's got its internal um, adoption curve, right? And, you know, I, I track that relatively closely. That's pinned to my profile. So you can just see the exponential growth in terms of the investment and the new user adoption. And so you get this S curve going exponential. Meanwhile, you've got these um, macro correlation traders that are like whip soaring the price up and down a sideways pattern compared to the S&P and NASDAQ and, and so forth, right? So you, you'll see that um, there's this underlying wall of support, which is from um, new users coming in to buy it. And eventually that will meet. Um, and like some of the models I do tries to track what the, that fundamental valuation is coming in to the market from the new user adoption or actually any adoption because those those correlation traders aren't actually moving on chain they're, they're trading futures instruments you don't see anything moving but if you're a fundamental buy hold investor then you'll move it off to your wallet and you'll see it on chain so you can sort of track that measure it in um like the monetary velocity of bitcoin um, you know, liquid, like the, the metric that you helped with was the supply shock metric. You can start to see all the stuff. And what you see is that as this sort of demand um, pricing of Bitcoin raises and it starts to meet the actual price, when the two hit, it bounces. And then the last time that got forced to a new range was in October to November 2020, which forced a price run from 10,000 to eventually 15, 60,000. Now we're in this, again, this range, um, ranging motion. Again, we're trading this correlation. And again, the growth of Bitcoin internally is, is, is impeding on it. And it's a matter of time before, again, it forces up to the next level. So um, that's what decouples it. And then it finds its correlation again. So. Um, but I'll hand it over to Plan B for the macro question. Uh, we could talk like hours on this topic alone. <laughs> so uh, we uh, both both questions, by the way, the correlation thing and the and the macro thing. I'll be short on, on macro. Um, yeah, macro is is we are seeing things that we have never seen before. So we are in uncharted territory. Um, uh, for example, Greg Foss, a nice uh, guy to follow, a, a credit investor, Canadian. Um, he has never seen what we're seeing right now. He's amazed. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, every investor, well, in Europe, the negative interest rates. Uh, in, in, in the US, the interest rates, the 10 years are, are going through the roof right now. Uh, inflation, of course, all driving this. Uh, 
but but there's well there's a couple of things we we have to see the inflation is not coming is not caused by the by the narratives that by, by what the narratives of the mainstream medium are telling us because they're telling us it's all because of putin or it's because of covid or no we we had this um going on actually if you there's some nice stats and charts about it uh, since since biden for example uh uh got into office was elected and and even before that the the money printing that we have seen since 2008 basically the acceleration of money printing printing since the financial crisis uh would have led to inflation regardless of what happened after it so of course they will they will blame it on putin or covid or whatever it's the money, it's corporate greed it's there's something every month different flavor yeah, every month <laughs> whatever political uh, narrative you want to attach to it but in the end we as investors and especially bitcoin investors of course know and, and and have to keep keep the eyes on the price it's because of the money printing and that's where the scary part is as well so um the big question now is will the uh, central banks and the governments get things under control by raising the interest rate that's how they normally do it and stop money printing well of course not is it, i don't see them doing that because that will crash everything of value real estate the 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 stock market bond markets everything and they will have to reduce spending which they can't because <laughs> they need they need the money to to fund well the military or some social program or or keeping banks alive or keeping other companies alive so i think they'll they'll see it it becomes very hard to 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 keep the inflation in 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 uh, in tame but the tame the inflation so uh, but what 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 the other scenario is we get runaway inflation or maybe even hyperinflation like we see in emerging markets right venezuela zimbabwe uh, more and more turkey now uh, argentina argentina um it's unthinkable that we have that we will have that in in europe or um or in the us even right now i think there's nobody really of the institutional investors that thinks that's a possibility but but history has shown us that once every 70 or 100 years there is this big um well hyperinflation or or reset moment that is necessary to keep things going and and um, uh, roosevelt did that with the gold uh, making gold illegal the gold act in, the, in in 1933 and nixon did it in in 1971 of course by decoupling uh, the dollar of the gold so i guess the other scenario is something like that a, a new currency global currency a yeah um debt um cancellation um a big default so some some big structural big swan event is could be on the horizon and and, and we can't think of what it is but it will be ugly so either the central banks or the governments get it under control, which they never had in the last 500 years, or some natural thing, some bad thing, some some yeah, bit of a disaster will cause a big reset of everything, and then we'll have to start over again. And and as an investor, of course, you have uh, very little time to uh, maneuver yourself in a position that you're not 
wiped out. So, so yeah, those are, th those are the macro, the big macro things, I guess. Uh, with the correlation, that's a very interesting topic. But that also um, uh, has this co-integration thing attached to it. So correlation is, of course, uh, that the equities go markets go down and the bond markets go down, or, or sorry, the, the Bitcoin goes down um, at the same time. But what if they uh, don't fall at the same time, but stick together? Um, uh, so they would be co-integrated and that's, that's, um, uh, yeah, that's the thing we have, we have discussed in, in the context of, of, uh, stock to flow a lot, but, but actually it's, it's a technique, the co-integration and the, uh, the, the, the pairs trading of currencies that is fully based on, on co-integration co of, 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 uh, FX pairs, um, and, and correlation is, I think, the next big thing in, in the derivatives market. So we had so we had futures market that is now kind of mature with the base rate down from 30% to 5%. We now, the next thing is volatility. Uh, and of course, it will bring volatility down. But the third thing will be cor correlation. And in, in mature markets like the equity markets and, and credit markets, you can directly trade correlation through the ITREX, for example. Uh, and so, so you can bet on correlation. Will it be uh, positive, negative, or non-existing in the future? And and when, re, uh, based on your your view on that, and there will be derivatives, uh, strategies like the pairs trading, that will make that market. Uh, so, so yeah, what will what will break it? The correlation, I don't know. That that's 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 very very hard. To, I I do see that. Bitcoin right now, uh, the big banks, the institutional investors have difficulty in, in, in categorizing what it is. So they look at what desks they have. They have a commodity desk. They have a, they have a venture capital desk or a tech, tech, tech stock desk. And they say, well, where, where, do, where do we put this? There's not a Bitcoin desk or a crypto desk. So they put it either in, in commodity, at the commodity desk, which very few do, by the way, so they put it in the in the tech stock in the the, the Google, Twitter, uh, Amazon, the Fang, uh, venture capital uh, desk, and and yeah, I, th I think the guys that work there are just trading Bitcoin like like tech stock. And once people figure out that the the risk return characteristics of Bitcoin are totally different than than Google or Amazon or or et cetera, et cetera. That, that it will be an asset or, or a desk on its own. I guess that's that's one of the things that we could look. So, so you could just think education in general of Bitcoin as an asset class could, you know, as that increases, the correlation might decrease. Would that be kind of a safe way to, to summarize that last bit a little bit? Yeah, 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 I, I guess. And I don't know how, how it will get shaped. Uh, if, yeah, it could be an arbitrage desk. That, that would be actually a, a, a foreign exchange desk. That would be, uh, if, if Bitcoin goes through the foreign exchange desk, that would be, uh, if, if the institutional investors learn that it's not a tech stock, but but it can be arbitraged like an F, any other FX. So that would be, in my eyes, a, a big step forward. What do you think is the likelihood of some type of like, you know, credit spiral like we saw in early 2020? Um, you know, I guess obviously like the kind of overarching uh, argument against something like that happening 
would be that obviously like, you know, COVID was a black swan versus, you know, we've had basically these rate hikes, um, you know, transparently talked about for months now and the market has, whether you want to agree if it's fully priced in or not, has priced some of these hikes in to an extent. You've seen some relatively, you know, defensive positioning in the Bitcoin derivatives market, as well as in traditional market as well. Um, how do you think through the likelihood of some type of event like that happening? And do you think, you know, once, once that event would, you know, theoretically occur, do you think we get, you know, like the March 2020 playbook on repeat where the Fed steps in with like the, you know, the, the QE bazooka and then, you know, it's like, okay, well, you put the Bitcoin trade back on, you know, we saw this playbook in March 2020. Like, how do you think through, I guess, A, the likelihood of that event and like, what would be from an investor standpoint, the correct positioning and, and expectations heading into something like that? Yeah, that, if, if, if I may, that, 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 that's sort of uh, the, the fork in the road that we're at, we are at the moment. So we don't know. Either there will be this black swan spiky event a la March 2020, uh, and it will be ugly and central banks have to save it, et cetera, et cetera. Or it, it could also go away, like, uh, um, like, like normally, for, for example, a scenario, scenario could be like, I think the May uh, 9th, May 9th, that's a Russian Freedom Day. Uh, maybe Putin uh, comes on television and says, well, you know, the war on, um, on, on the Ukraine is, is, is over now, we have won it, and we go back to normal, we, we, <laughs> we put open the gas uh, to, to Europe again, and all the prices come down, the inflation goes down, and, and the interest rates with it, and we're, we'll, we'll enter a next. So it's, I think it's very, very hard to say, and, and I, I, I certainly don't want to speculate uh, uh, where it will be going, it could be anything. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. What do you think about the, uh, we've seen a lot of people like Luke Groman's nailed everything on the head. Um, you've seen that guy Zoltan from Credit Suisse talking about this, about, you know, Bretton Woods 3. What do you think about us being in kind of the early days of the end of the dollar? I mean, obviously this could take much longer than some people expect, but there's been some kind of, uh, I guess, theories around Putin using this war as a means of kind of a, a beginning of a financial attack on the United States versus versus like a kinetic war. Do you agree with that kind of theory, either of you, about this kind of being the beginning of the end of the dominance of the U.S. dollar? Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's a very uh, slow process that has started um, a couple of years ago, and that involves uh, all the countries in the world, but especially China, Russia, India, uh, the Middle East, oil, uh, and uh, the de-dollarization and the the printing of dollars is 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 going on before our very eyes. Yeah, I kind of think it's going to take a lot longer than people think. We as Bitcoiners keep, you know, I think we're, we're biased to the, the demise of the dollar and. I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be fast. And if you were to look at, um, you know, what's happening right now in terms of, you know, very long term, um, and we're in this really large, strong technical rise. Most of the, the value that's been created in the last 20 years have been tech, has been very much tech internet um, based. And so if you look at where is that being originated from, 
majority is dominated in the US. So the US is by far the strongest military force. So A, the security is high, just like Bitcoin security. You need that. Um, the economy and the core technology is high and it's very independent. It's energy independent. It's got food independence. It's got technology independence. You look at Russia and it's like, they're going to collapse with these sanctions because they can't get the machines to build their stuff because they don't make it internally. The US is very strong. And then thirdly, um, in the world um, currency, um, you know, it's got that world reserve status. It still has very strong from the aforementioned reasons. Um, you know, a lot of us think um, it's going to hyperinflate. Well, I don't think it is because it's going to be the last because it's going to be the weak economies that can't export their inflation to the rest of the countries. They are the first to, to, to you know, suffer hyperinflation, as we've seen. And so the weaker um, currencies and all the current countries that don't have their own, um, they don't have the reserve status, they can't export the stuff. So it's a, it's a very good defensive play for the US and looking forward into moving into a digital age. They are the leaders. And so I think it's a surprising um, situation right now where I, I, I think um, I think it's it's stronger than most people think and it's got a lot of momentum behind it um, and certainly you know the, the productivity coming out of the US is and technology is really really high and I don't think you turn that around very easily and take a look around it's like if you're coming from any other country um, that's lesser developed and you're looking for opportunity everyone's queuing up to go to the US and if there's any doubt about, you know, because we're in a creative age of digital talent, if there's any doubt about um, whether that, that can be defended, um, it's, it's like um, everyone's queuing up there and all the US would need to do is reduce the, um, you know, the, the bars on getting in for the, the brains trust. Um, and it's bull season for the US and all and the industries that matter. And that's the opposite for Russia. Um, and, and people often think the strength of China's economy is huge. And it's actually, it's China's economy is, has been building sincerely based on very basic um, um, sort of infrastructure gains. And it's like this mass production machine. Um, but that economy is not, um, I don't, it's, it's, it's I think it's relatively fragile. You know, it's very dependent on other countries is energy inputs, food inputs, um, and exports, right? And um, this is fragile. Like, imagine if China did, um, you know, say China invaded Taiwan and the world sanctioned it, um, it would be in deep trouble. Um, as uh, that's an interesting thing that the latest war has sort of outlined. Um, if you look at Chinese, the Chinese economy, it is very dependent. It, like the whole economy would, I, I think, it would fall apart if if the energy imports didn't um, were main did were not maintained. Um, so, yeah, I, I, like the US is the strongest game in town if you're talking at scale, and I don't think that's turning around anytime soon. And um, and like uh, the interesting thing with the new Biden, um, you know, like decision to like over its key agencies to figure out a way to effectively get a clarity over Bitcoin and regulate it is saying, um, we want to be part of this future um, and we're not going to ban it. Um, so that's, that's why I mean, it's one of these, the narratives that got taken off the table in the recent you know, couple of months, which is it's huge, it's huge. Um, 
So I, I kind of see the US leading for a long time, even though everyone kind of thinks it's the end of the US dollar and, and whatnot. But when we're talking about the real um, stuff that matters, which is industry, technology, and, and a military to defend that, they're the only game in town. Um, so, yeah. I want to, before we, I mean, we haven't even gotten into on-chain, so you know, before, we, before we get to about an hour into the conversation, I want to at least kind of get the ball rolling on some, some on-chain stuff here. Um, I guess we could, we could first start with kind of the overarching um, view of on-chain. I guess, Willie, we'll, we'll start with you. Um, you know, one of the reasons that you had kind of cited uh, ceasing to, to continue with the newsletter was the kind of decrease in, in productivity of solely looking at on-chain. So um, how has that kind of mental structure of the market evolved from looking at solely on-chain to also incorporating other more nuanced factors such as derivatives as that becomes more important in the market as well? Yeah, it's always interesting because the, I, I don't know, it's like, the market structure of Bitcoin changes um, very regularly, almost every year. Like we had a major sea change in um, like the third and fourth quarter of last year in, in the structure. Um, huge um, futures dominance came in. And um, yeah, so I've done a lot more work on um, predictive models using futures meshed with on-chain. Uh, it's really interesting now. It's like, like um, one of the, the best model I have now, which is, Oh, man, it takes a lot of number crunching to get this stuff out. Um, it basically looks at a lot of the on-chain um, data, um, many inputs, um, many signals, and also many signals from futures data. And it kind of self-optimizes and finds out over any time period what, what is important and what price is responding to, and it gives it weight. Um, and like it's 55% uh, on-chain still which is really interesting because a lot of people you know you're, you're used to people saying it's hocus pocus and it's astrology but the quantitative um, model i'm working with the best that i've come um, come up with so far um, is yeah it's 55 percent 55 percent predictive using on chain and 45 percent futures currently um, so yeah that's that's really interesting um and yeah, like the last, you know, you kind of come into this thinking, I'll write this letter and I should be able to call the top. And I didn't, I was not able to call the top. Why? Because the market changed. And this last bear market going from 70,000, um, was it October, November, down to our lows of um, the early part of this year. Um, that was not at all on chain. Like nothing on there said bearish. Um, what that was, was futures selling, which really makes sense. If you're an institution, hell, why would I sell my Bitcoin to cash? You know, I'd only sell it to cash if I can get like move that cash into say a high high gainer or like maybe equities or something, and I'd redeploy it. But if I just want to just move it to cash because I'm uncertain of everything, well, I'll just hold my Bitcoins and I'll sell the futures and get... Um, they netted 15 to 17% at the top of the market, um, annualized yield. Um, so that's what institutions will do at the top market if they want to go to cash. They'll sell the futures and move effectively, hedge to cash and get the carry trade of like what was over 15% annualized, which is, you know, crazy kind of yields hmm. um, being in cash. And so what we saw was this immense sell down on futures 
calendar futures and um and when that bottom that was that that called the bottom of um that bearish run and we've been sideways up and downish and a kind of a sideways accumulation upward channel since um so yeah it's really interesting the futures data bringing that in with the models um, that we're seeing on chain plan b any thoughts yeah it looks like we're we've been doing uh, similar stuff because uh, we've been looking at you know um i don't do this alone uh like like really uh also doesn't do it alone i guess uh, so we have a, a group of quants we call, they're called the dutch quant collective it's, it's actually a company it's it's also a fund it's it's well it's a it's not public it's not open for public money um yet in the in the us uh, certainly not but that will probably come but anyway we, we're we're looking at uh on chain and futures data so the big story of course was futures data last couple of months maybe a year and um um so the diminishing of the uh, uh future spread was and and, and the, the movement of the future spread was very um yeah uh, predictive of uh, of the price and especially the difference in in how fast that went for example in different in different other coins as well so so there's also futures on on, on other coins than bitcoin ethereum etc uh and they move in different um cadence they, they uh the, so the pattern pattern between futures premiums on the different coins and the futures premiums in in, in normal markets is very interesting and very very useful in predictions especially if you combine it with on chain and uh so we're we're suckers for simple stuff so no big model with 100 inputs uh and complex stuff uh we like to keep it very simple um uh, but but it takes a lot of number crunching like like willie said it the the, the data sets are huge like like uh half a terabyte right the blockchain and then crunch it we do all that ourselves but you can you know even something simple like like realized price or realized cap it's so interesting to watch at uh what's what's happening there not only um by by uh by looking at for for example the short-term holders and long-term holder stuff but also by um separating the the coins that are in profit and the coins that are in loss and and you get those those very different perspectives on the same market that that as a person we would recognize as well if, if you started a couple of years ago you're in profit two times three times 10x in profit and and you don't mind if the market falls 20 percent, 40 percent, even 60 percent. you're still in profit but if you just bought and you're in loss and you're looking at a 10%, 20% loss for, for a lot of people, that's especially institutional investors, by the way, or, or traditional investors, that's a big loss. And, and, and some of them are forced to close their positions at the loss level like that. So those are two very different perspectives and you can track the dynamics. So you can see how much coins are there in loss, how much coins are there in profit and, and what are they doing? uh it, well it, uh, you're doing the same stuff uh but you can you can go in a lot of different directions with even something simple as the realized uh, cap and um yeah I, I i like that very very much uh what we what we still see there in uh, predictability although i have to be frank of course we didn't see the uh the downturn from 60 to 30 we totally missed that
Yeah, that was totally futures, eh? That was totally futures. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> um, it'll be another mistake, right? Because the market will change again. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So with that being said, like, what do you guys think about kind of current market structure, both from like an on-chain standpoint, but also derivatives? We kind of talked about macro, but just like a lot of these more like Bitcoin-centric indicators. I'm, I, I would talk, but people hear me ramble all day. We haven't heard from you guys about your, your current market thoughts in a while. So curious, curious it's, what you guys think. It's real interesting in terms of like, there was a lot of bearishness. Maybe, you know, we've got a little bit of a pump in the last 24 hours, um, but like it's been super bearish and people are going, oh, it's going 20 or whatnot. And the capitulation is going to melt. But uh, if you were to look at our valuation models, like MBT signal, MBTS, um, every time, every capitulation, like from the 2018 capitulation from 6,000, 3,000 or the COVID capitulation, um, they really started from medium to high levels of valuation of Bitcoin, according to that metric. Um, and we're actually really undervalued right now. It's like, it's near extremes of undervaluation. Um, so I think it's really hard to mount a capitulation because it's oversold to such a degree. Um, so on-chain is like, you know, at that stage of what we call mean reversion, it's so far out from its mean that the gravitational port force is towards up, right? Which is where it wants to be. Um, and so you, any anyone shorting this um, in correlation to any crash might have some success, but I think it's, it's limited. Um, it's limited because of that, that mean reverted force um, on basically fundamental on-chain valuation metrics. Um, so I feel like that's it. We're just waiting for futures demand to come in. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting time. Um, if, if that doesn't happen, um, maybe we get a decoupling. Because um, I, I seldom do I see these kind of long time frame um, metrics start break down. You know, they if you look at it zoomed out enough, it's always going to revert. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're undervalued right now, um, and it, it's hard to push it down. It's easier to pull it up on bullish um, correlation trade, harder to pull it down on the bearish trade. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and at the risk of being called a moon boy which I'm called anyway. So uh, <laughs> yeah, all the signals, uh, whether you look fundamental and I mean, well, like stock to flow, for example, uh, with that or on chain, um, realized cap or, or other metrics or in the news, the macro news, the, the, the number of countries that are opening up to, um, to Bitcoin, everything is positive. Of course, there can be a black swan. Of course, something can happen that we uh, we haven't seen in the past, or that is that is a real black swan. But it, yeah, volatility is low. Uh, like Willie said, the, the the futures premium is low. We we I, I watch that like a hawk. If that will uh, go up again, if the um, leverage will uh, will enter the market again. Um. But even even, yeah, the 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 dormant coins, the the the, the people in profit, the people in loss. It, it's it, it, I can't imagine unless a black swan. Uh, any other scenario that 
this is one of the best buying opportunities that we have seen in the entire history of Bitcoin. It, it's compatible to the beginning, 2016, 2011, 2013, 12 even, the beginning of the bull run. So it's, it's yeah, it's, I know that sounds like, like moon boy stuff, but that's how I look at it. it, it yeah, it's it's it, interesting. It's real interesting in there because when I look at this market, I think the market topped in um, sort of that May. Was it there? Like capitulation hadn't happened in May going into June. Um, yeah. And then we had this relief rally, which is this weird kind of, well, I've never seen that before, rally to all time high. But fundamentals wise, it, it wasn't reflective. It was almost overbought and there was no substance, substance behind it, not in the metrics I track. And so I would say we had capitulation, we've been in a bearish sort of sideways accumulation with this sort of weird ass uh, move to, to 70,000, that's like an anomaly, but the fundamentals didn't support it, it came back down and we're still in this accumulation phase similar to that bottom um, 3,000 in 2019 and the 150 to 250, um, and well 250 in 2015 um so we're, we're waiting to come out of this accumulation phase um and yeah yeah it's yeah it, it's, it feels like we we went through a full cycle in one year yeah. right uh, we had the bull market and in, in, in may indeed and then we went through a full uh bear market it, it, and, it, from an on-chain uh, perspective, but it doesn't fit, and, and not in price, of course, because yeah. we didn't go down minus 80%. So I, I get that some people still waiting till, uh, well, Bitcoin drops to 20 or something, but from from all other perspectives, we are at the rock bottom. The, the, the price analysis will lead you astray because a lot of that is very dependent on like, um, fractal imprinting of past cycles and like yeah we didn't when we should have gone to close to that 100k back in um, last year it, the, the top was taken out of it by the carry trade um, so when we pulled back and capitulated at down 50% it wasn't 85% because we never went into a exponential climb yes. we never saw MVRV go to the same heights that we're used to yeah. Um, and likewise, the bottoms was not as exaggerated. And then we had this futures anomaly. Um, and almost, I think, some part of that, I think that last leg up to 70,000 was this, you know, the futures ETFs coming online. And we got like a very sort of futures based buying. Um, it's just really very. Um, you mean like front running the announcement or? It's just, I just saw buying on futures, whereas oh. on chain was much more mild. Um, and so you can see where the demand's coming from. It's like people not buying the underlying, they're buying, you know, futures instruments. Um, and then like, if you're buying the futures instrument, maybe that's coming off the ETF, but that ETF is so expensive to hold that those guys are traders. So it got traded up to the 70,000 in an anomaly of a trade before it, um, maybe it was correlated to um, like the NASDAQ and the S&P, but like, um, it, it, yeah, it was, I think it's anomalous, but like, if, the, the data or the fundamental data looks different. Um, and and I, I'd say things are responding very, very quickly and differently. So like we, we had this very strong buying, um, you know, 
in alignment with Do Kwan's like, you know, what is it like one, almost 2 billion he's bought now over a number of weeks. So you saw this spot demand come back in from not only spot markets and, and on-chain, uh, which monitors that effectively, and um, you saw it come in on the futures and you see the spreads expand again. And it was like, hallelujah, the bull market's back in, it's expanding. But that whole thing reversed very quickly in one week, um, this last week. And it just went from like big bullish bubbles on my model to one day of neutral and then red and it flipped on a dime. And I think we'll see more of that as well. Um, this thing's becoming very responsive and less, um, you know, long-term sort of steady predictable. Um, I think like the kind of the overarching view I've been seeing is just that you have pretty strong accumulation on chain. I mean, whether we want to look at that from supply not moved in at least a year, we look at long-term holders, we look at illiquid supply, you know, we see dormancy flow coming, you know, down at like the fourth or fifth lowest it's ever been, obviously for listeners, you know, indicating that you know, you've got a decrease in spending from some of the older guys. So, I mean, I think like the general kind of view I've been seeing from, you know, removing some of the on-chain jargon that you know, we're all accustomed to. It's just that like, you're seeing a lot of accumulation. Uh, and then from the futures market, you know, we've talked about how the kind of three month basis has cooled off, which I think a, as, as we've noted, has shown like a decrease in speculation. Um, but also as, as we talked about, you know, the, the market's just getting more efficient, but I do think to an extent it, it uh, illustrates kind of a, a nice reset or cooling off uh, from the futures market. The other thing is um, just, we've been in this like really long period of, or what I like to call regime of, of spot premium, whether we look at that just like an aggregated way of just comparing spot to, to perps weighted by volume and open interest, or if we look at, you know, like Bitfinex spot compared to Bybit perps or like some of these like uh, like exchange to exchange uh, comparisons with premium. Um, you know, I think in, in a general sense, you're seeing a, that accumulation on chain paired with a nice kind of cooling off from the futures market. So, I mean, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, I think in a broader sense, like kind of the, the safest way to kind of phrase it would just be, this is a, a really good area to average into BTC. Um, you know, I think there's that non-zero, you know, chance of some type of, you know, macro credit spiral where you get a capitulation-esque move in, in BTC. Uh, but in that case, I, I do think you probably get a, a large monetary response from the Fed anyway. So I think, you know, you average in pretty heavily more than you than you would traditionally in your, in your DCAing and then, uh, but keep, you know, a, a non-zero cash allocation unless there's some type of capitulation move like that. But I, I agree with kind of what uh, Plan B said that I think unless you get some type of either credit spiral or maybe contagion effect, you know, coming off of some of the stuff with Russia and let's say someone was like levered up to Russian exposure, I don't know, something like this that is, has this kind of contagion effect where, you know, no one really saw it spreading. Maybe that has some type of, um, you know, impact in, in terms of creating that type of capitulation move. But I think aside from that, as, as we've just talked about, like, I think in uh, all, all of these kind of broader indicators, MVRV, uh, dormancy flow was one of the ones we mentioned, reserve risk, um, you know, the realized hodl ratio, even something as simple as like the mayor multiple, which is like, you know, that's like one of the OG valuation metrics. I mean, all these things are just kind of in that lower, you know, 10 to 25 percent 
percentile in terms of like relative uh, valuation for BTC. So definitely think it's a you know great time to at least average into a, a position. Maybe not you know buying today, assuming it's the you know macro pico pico bottom, but you know kind of averaging in over the next uh, month or two amidst this kind of uncertainty. Uh, and I think it's, it's probably a, a pretty good idea. Absolutely. And even with that, uh, like white swan, like we saw in COVID, where there was a liquidity crisis, um, is everything sold off to cash? You know, Bitcoin was, of course, affected. Um, you know, what we monitor here is the fundamentals, and like in COVID, it was a very mild dip. Uh, it, it, there was a very little blip. Um, there wasn't a great sell-off, and so. Um, I think um, that that would be the same. You would get this wick down. If you're leveraged, um, you get liquidated. But if you're just accumulating spot investor, it's just like you just bide your time, and within two three months, it reverts back up to its its proper valuation. Um, so um, yeah, I guess I, I, I guess the only like rebuttal I would say to like expecting, and I'm not like putting words in your mouth, but I'm just saying for anyone expecting like a 50% down move in, in BTC if something like that were to occur. You know, I think the the difference between now and March of 2020 would just be in some of like the positioning in the futures market. I think, you know, we were heading into a halving. And so when you look at funding rates or, you know, like spot premium, um, you know, the, the futures market was pretty jacked up heading into the halving. You know, if, uh, you know, everyone, you know, expecting the traditional move that we've we've seen in, yeah, in BTC. Um, and then you also pair that with like the one other chart that I think is really interesting from like a broader sense is like the percentage of futures collateralized with Bitcoin versus stable coins. Um, and so our, like the more, you know, the, the larger the percentage of all the contracts margin with BTC means that there's a higher potential convexity, which is, um, you know, just a fancy word for listeners to say like, you know, as let's say you're long, you're, you're, you're longing BTC with BTC as collateral, the trade starts to go against you. Not only is your P&L, your profit and loss decreasing, but also the collateral you put up for that contract is decreasing as well. Um, so the likelihood of you getting liquidated or stopped out of that trade is much higher being collateralized with BTC uh, if you're long. So, you know, I think we've come down from like 70% of all the futures market collateralized with BTC. Maybe you could, maybe, you know, that the figure off the top of your head down to like 30% or 35%. I mean, it's been at least a 50% um, drawdown in the amount of contracts margin with BTC. So I would just say like the derivative setup in general is just a bit less jacked up and, and frothy compared to like heading into March, 2020. So, I mean, maybe we could get a capitulation move in, um, you know, maybe 25, 30% type of day. But I think the likelihood of like a 50% down move is is pretty minimal. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And if, if you look at, at historic events, there's, I guess, three of those events. Um, one in, in uh, 2018, and that was basically because of the fork of uh, uh, BSV and all the narrative and, 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 and fear around it. And then we had, of course, the um, uh, after the, the Mount, Mount Gox debacle in, in 2013, we had in 2014, the sell-off because of the hack of Bitfinex. And everybody, oh, there we go again. And we just had Mount Gox, and now we have Bitfinex, the same thing. And then it really capitulated. And then in 2011, we had a big capitulation. 
but that was if i'm not mistaken because of the first um hack of of mount gox or some troubles at mount gox at the time the only uh, exchange in the world so big structural bitcoin specific events happening and i don't think that's on the horizon uh, as we speak yeah i think that's that's well said um before we before we kind of get towards the end of the conversation i, I want to kind of zoom out for listeners so i mean a lot of what we've talked about is been kind of what's going on currently with macro and, and the bitcoin market specifically when we zoom out um what do you guys think are some of the maybe it's macro or just you know a breakdown in trust and fiat system like what do you think are some of the main kind of catalysts that will propel bitcoin forward or, or potential events that you think will uh, that have a you know high probability of playing out that you think will cause that you know large markup in BTC. I guess you know what are what are some of the the milestones that you think will accelerate Bitcoin adoption moving forward over the next three to five years? Wow, I, I, three five years is a long time. Yeah, <laughs> you go first, plan B. <laughs> yeah, well, a normal answer is that if if you would have asked that question five years ago. I wouldn't have thought of everything that happens <laughs> since. So it's it's probably something we don't know right now that will um, propel us to the next levels. But if if we just extrapolate from what we know, yeah, a second or a third El Salvador would really um, change the game. If if El Salvador is a small uh, country, would not be alone in Latin America, but Mexico, Brasilia, or or Argentina. Argentina would join them that would make the case so much stronger and 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 so much more difficult for the IMF to crush um so that 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 that's something i really watch and then just uh, normal demand from normal people that go through the institutions uh, uh, people putting their pensions in bitcoin um people buying Bitcoin themselves from an exchange, I see it all around me. It's, it's, there's a lot of people that think this is a good time to buy Bitcoin and they DCA in. Of course, you have to be very careful with that. But I see it around me. A lot, a lot, a lot more people are asking, hey, how do you set up a wallet? <laughs> and I think that very small uh, adoption uh, is also very important. And that's what we're seeing as well so as, as yeah as more people um invest in bitcoin that that that's just and, and maybe on the institutional level yeah the arbitrage i think arbi- adoption is one thing mostly retail but arbitrage just getting those juicy um cash and carry um returns that are not so juicy at the moment but volatility at the moment or well it, it's something else every time um, it's better than, 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 than being in fixed income at the moment. It's better than um, minus 1% on your bank accounts or on your treasury accounts. So, yeah, I think it will come from, from, from those uh, three angles, so basically. That's, that's Preston's thesis, is he thinks the fixed income market breaking down is going to be what drives that large markup in, in BTC. Yeah, which is a very much larger. It's just very much larger than the equity markets, of course. It's one of the biggest markets in the world. It, yeah, they're in trouble. Willie, any any thoughts on your end? 
Yeah, it's, you know, like, of course, yes, okay, things move in stages. Like, we had the, the corporate treasury push that Michael Saylor, um, you know, was the pioneer of. Um, and there's, you know, like, later on that led to the hedge fund um, push. And, and now these sort of um, institutional traders, sophisticated quant traders coming into extracting yield. Um, so these are set phases of it, right? That's great. You know, this is always going to happen as it gets bigger, it's mature enough, next thing comes on. But I, I'm really just looking at the adoption of the new technology. It's like um, Plan B says, it's like everybody, our neighbors, our friends, from the, they're interested in investing in this as a, is an asset class um, and that goes through a very well understood S curve um, and I, you know like I was I invested in Bitcoin the within the week that I heard of it um, because it was told to me like oh okay this is like a digital version of gold you could store a scarcity and it'd be like a gold and I was like it was around a very simple idea through my mind going oh okay um, like any technology it's going to adopt and my analogy was well this is mp3s to the ipod you know there's going to be from one emerging bleeding edge unuser friendly you know can you remember encoding like before your time well i think then we used to encode mp3s off our cds um, <laughs> and it would run like 60 minutes to encode this thing so it'd be a little file so we could play it on our computers in a compact way. And then um, it took 12 years to get to the iPod. And this was um, tail end of 2013. So I figured, well, tail end of, we give it 12 years. We saw it took 12, 12 years. That's uh, equivalent of um, late 2025, this would come into like a mainstream thing. And I was like, a mainstream thing would be a mature market like gold, which at the time was um, $10 trillion and it was $450,000 per coin. And that was my target. Uh, I'm going to kick myself <laughs> if I don't buy at least one Bitcoin now for, I think it was $600. If this thing turns out to 450000 by 2025 and I didn't invest, I'll regret it. So I went and bought one Bitcoin. And it's that adoption curve. And it is, and it is a tech, it is a tech um, story um, at the end of the game. No matter how much we talk about each step and financializing it, um, you know, and I knew nothing of this, you know, I knew nothing of, you know, cash and carry trades and, you know, options markets and, and, and so forth, futures markets. But, you know, as this thing goes through its adoption curve, as more and more people invest into it and more and more of the industry build easy to use wallets, um, you know, lightning network now and the work that, you know, Stripe's doing there's all manner of innovations where it's making it easy for the common person to hold this asset as an investment. Um, it, it just continues, and we are actually on track. Um, we're on track. Um, was over a billion people by 2025 to hold this asset, and um, the valuations that are coming out are on track for about half a million. Um, 2025, I think, was it Ark Invest? 20 is it 2030 by? Um, one million dollars so yeah it's it's roughly ballpark and i think that's it's not a narrative that's just adoption curve and it's whatever is the next phase of this um, which i guess is your question i was like i don't know <laughs> but i trust in the curve um yeah just i just trust in the curve real trust the curve ladies and gentlemen i think that's a 
a good place to wrap it up. It wouldn't be a, a moon boy show without any hopium at the end, right? We, we gotta, we gotta give the people their hopium. Um, guys, you know, seriously though, I think that this was amazing. Um, you know, we gotta, we gotta maybe do this like once a quarter or something like that. It's always a pleasure talking to both of you. Um, I feel like whenever we come together, it's like the, you know, uh, sometimes one plus one can equal three. When you bring brilliant minds together, you get a bigger output than the, the sum of the parts and as you know, in, in their own right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, I think, you know, it's going to be an interesting time for Bitcoin over the next few years. Um, we've got unprecedented times going on in macro, all the things we kind of discussed today. And, uh, I guess with that, any, any kind of final words that you guys want to leave the audience with, uh, before we, before we wrap up, I guess, uh, we'll go Willie first then plan B. Trust the kid. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Look, look long-term, I would say, um, like all the noise disappears. I think Michael Saylor said that also. Just, just we're all worried about the next short-term move. Um, maybe we go to 20. Well, this or that is, you know, like this thing's been going for uh, how many years is it? 12, 13, 13 years. Um, trust it, you know, and we're in the safer range of it and it's asymmetrical. It's a very asymmetrical bet. If if you're wrong, you lose. If you invest a dollar and you're wrong, you'll lose one dollar. Um, unlikely, um, you'll lose it all. If you're right, you'll get ten dollars or twenty dollars, and the probability of that you'll win is more than fifty percent. It's like flip the coin, heads or tails, heads or tails. If you're right, you get twenty bucks. If you're wrong, you pay me a buck. You know who wouldn't take that bet? That's the bet that's on the table. Um, you've got to be prepared to lose because everything's got risk, but it's asymmetrical and it still is. You know, it's been asymmetrical for a long time. It's still asymmetrical. Nothing to add. Thank you very much, guys. This was fun. I learned a lot and, and certainly let's do it again uh, in, in uh, a couple months time and see what we missed. <laughs> <laughs> see how the awesome. story progresses. Thanks, Will, for bringing it together. Thanks, guys. Take care. <laughs>